Greetings, I'm Steve Van Cor, and this is the FCCMA Podcast, a service produced by and for the Florida City and County Management Association. I'm your host, and each episode, and this is episode number 65, we interview a city or a county leader who's in a position to share interesting and useful insights into the operations of local government here in the Sunshine State. We are meeting today with Derek Fiacher. Uh, the city manager of Daytona Beach and proudly his one year anniversary uh, in the job. 15 years married, one year at, at the city. Did you purposely coordinate that though, so you wouldn't forget him? No, it's problematic actually because my wife and I normally take a trip um, around our anniversary and my first anniversary um, in Daytona Beach, our anniversary together was a city commission meeting. How romantic. It was great. I had to spend a lot of money that following weekend. (laughs) (laughs) It it reminds me when my kids snuck out, they were like in their 60s, snuck out to go be with their buddies at two o'clock in the morning. So yeah, it was great because the next day I got so much yard work done. So (laughs) (laughs) I might have to try that. It's the makeup. It's the makeup uh, on the tail end. Yeah. Because, well, you know, it's funny because we talk about having a servant's heart and um, being committed and, you know, being a city manager means it's a, can be a 24-7 job, and the fact that you spend your anniversary at a city commission meeting, not as romantic as we would like, but it's, it's the reality of being a city manager. Correct. And, and because of our lifelong commitment to each other, uh, my wife understands the value of what I do for a community, um, so it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. <laughs> so she was understanding, yeah. but you still had to spend a lot of money the next week. I think she knew that when she was saying that to me. Go ahead and go to your meeting. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So I want to I get into a couple of subjects with you. Um, really interesting, uh, the work you did in Winter Haven, your prior position. Uh, Winter Haven really didn't have a central core. And today it has a vibrant, uh, active kind of cool central core. Let's talk about that journey a little bit. I want to talk about your journey later, but let's just get right into this because the people who listen to this want to know, you know, the details of how did you do that? Tell, tell us where, where was Winter Haven when you arrived on the scene? When I arrived to, to Winter Haven, I actually arrived um, in 2001 and, and the city manager at that time was David Green, who was a very, um, um, people called him a bull in a china shop. And he was creating a team of individuals to help transform the very fabric of that community. And I remember serving as a, the communications director in charge of the public information and marketing and, and, and community engagement. And I walked on in downtown and took a picture. Um, it's about 2 p.m. and there was not a car on the Central Avenue, the main street of that community, not one car at two o'clock. So you're thinking like, where did I go? Now, this was my hometown. I was born and raised in Winter Haven. And I realized that the, the, the buildings were boarded Wait, up. How did a bunch of Cajuns get from... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's the H name. I, I, think, I don't know how my, my grandparents got, got there, but they, they got there. Because um, Fiacher is spelled F-E-A-C-H-E-R. But the pronunciation is, is that whole Geechee um, type of New Orleans, um, French. I don't speak French well, so... Uh, but, but they're there. 
So they, they arrived in Winter Haven. Arrived in Winter Haven. You're taking a picture at 2 o'clock in the afternoon? 2 o'clock, no cars on the street, boarded up. I still have that picture. And David Green um, made a decision that we're going to transform the very fabric of this community. It will be the community of choice. It will be the destination where people want to live, work, play, learn, and raise a family. And he got a group of individuals together, and he eventually left. And um, I got promoted after Dale Smith and um, T. Michael Sarvis is still there now. And now Mike Herr is a city manager and continuing to expand on that. Uh, but we got public-private partnerships. Uh, we had a group of individuals um, under the name of 610, but Strain became the CEO, was the CEO. Um, and he said that if the city were to invest through our CRAs and redevelopment, that he would invest in purchasing and acquiring properties. And so we did that. We put the infrastructure in place. We moved things underground. So where do you get the money? Is it through the CRA? Or, CR, but the CRA, CRA doesn't start yielding money until you do the new development. So we did stuff up in, in advance. We, we made sure that we used some of our dollars that we were already, because the CRA was in existence. The city acquired properties, um, the old courthouse downtown. We moved our library from um, an area where a lot of people complained and moved it right downtown with a coffee shop and bookstore. So we started creating all of our public places, we start identifying them as our front porch for our communities. But you know, this is what's interesting about this to me is it wasn't just a, if you build it, they will come. You had to have a partner to say, we'll build it and you're willing to come. Because yeah. sometimes we do things with a dream, right? We, we've talked about this on the podcast. People build things and then hope Mana yeah. falls from heaven. But in your case, you guys worked hand in glove with the developer who, who said, I want to I help rebuild. I want to transform downtown Winter Haven. Yeah. And they're still doing that. We went on, I mean, we went to Roanoke, Virginia for um, what we call CityWorks, a conference about transformation, working with the, not only the local developer, but the colleges, um, businesses. So we were trying to recruit law firms to come downtown. We were trying to recruit hotels to come downtown. So what, what does that look like? I'm a law firm. I'm out you know, in another area, an exurb or in a neighboring town, and you, you sit and visit with them. What, what, how does that work? Creating the hub where you've got an um, a, a influx of people, um, bringing the synergy down from the academic standpoint, the, um, the, the banking standpoint, the living standpoint, knowing that you're going to have clients coming through and creating that synergy that from affordable housing on one end, to high-end um, housing on the other, and letting people know that there's going to be influx of So, so you sit with this law firm and say, look, we have a promise, we have a vision, we want you to be a part of that. And, and, and but do you offer assistance in getting them to move? Do you say, we'll provide you the property, or what do you do? Well, we, we actually got rid of some of the derelict properties around buildings that they wanted to acquire. The city purchased them and built a very nice parking garage, but members of the 610 group were not only developers. They were accountants, they were attorneys, um, they were bankers. They so were, they saw so, an opportunity and they needed a partnership with the city. I mean, yeah, truly a public-private truly partnership. A, a partnership. And then, so once people start locating downtown, the sandwich shop can, can stay open. Uh, or the after-hours the after hours bar, you know, the, the 5 o'clock happy hour bar can You got can breweries sustain. saying, you got breweries opening up, wine bars, yoga centers. Um, I don't do yoga, but they're there. Um, you've got the nice small boutiques. Um, you've got the um, accommodations above and, uh, the, the shops that there was no one living downtown. Now you've got three or four different accommodations because of companies like 610. You've got, um, I think, two hotels are coming to the area that um, were part of the discussion when I was city manager. And now they're coming out of the ground because of some of the, the continual leadership of quality city managers that have, that have come after me. 
Uh, and so it really works when a community buys into the vision. Things can accelerate pretty fast because at one point, I don't think Winter Haven was even growing. Um, but the community bought into it. And you can see that now if you go back and look 2001 mm -hmm. um, or even 1995 when um, our Future by Design was started um, under the Chamber of Commerce to where it is now. The future is here what they believed in. So the, you the actually 90s. walked walked through, you know, here's the vision. Let's 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 promote it. Let's communicate it. Let's invest money in the infrastructure, yes. have a true partnership. And then they start coming. And then once that happens, you pretty much get out of the way. right? Yeah. And that's that's what government should do. Um, when you see that is happening, just get out of the way and make sure that um, the quality of life of the citizens around that area are not being affected in a negative way. Uh, by making sure that you create great policy, um, great um, land development codes to make sure that it doesn't cause a negative impact on that area. And I, I really bought into the whole concept of visioning when I was asked to become the chair of the Refresh. And the Refresh was um, updating that 1995 vision. Now that, you know, yeah, yeah, you, can't, yeah. you can't just let it. We brought in a lot of younger Craft generations. breweries was not a thing in 1995. No. Now it's the hottest thing. The hottest know? ticket in town. And so that's the thing. And government stepping back and being part of the discussion and not trying to control the discussion is what I think makes um, leadership. I remember uh, President Clinton said, government shouldn't row, government should just steer. And when we steer by consensus, you know, yeah. where, where do you guys want to go? Because it's an interesting thing. And we see this in communities all around where, you know, if you want it, it's, it's the, the constant conflict, right? One is, uh, we need urban infill. Well, but then the neighborhood says, don't destroy our neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. Don't destroy the character of our neighborhood. And then you say, okay, then we're going to expand the urban service area. We'll build houses out here. Oh, no, that's urban sprawl. Yeah. <laughs> and so there's always somebody. And when it comes to downtown redevelopment, you hear, oh, you're gentrifying, you're displacing. There might be four. We, we, we have a dilapidated beer stop in Tallahassee, a Chubby's Chicken, and a, and a uh, cash pawn shop. And a developer is coming in and wants to rebuild that area. And they're like, oh, you're going to destroy the character of our neighborhood. I'm like, oh, and there's a closed restaurant, too. They're just sitting vacant, boarded up. I'm like, wait. Where's the wanna, character of you this? You want to preserve this? But how did you deal with that? I mean, it had to be some of that. <laughs> People don't like change, even if it's good change. What was so significant is a concerted effort was made to not make the people come to the downtown meetings. They had meetings in people's neighborhoods, in their homes, in their churches, at their social clubs. I remember even doing a session at the um, nursing home uh, because there was a lake that we were trying to build a trail around where a nursing home was right over. And how do you connect that? This would be good for those um, seniors who are in a nursing home who may want to walk across to the trail around the lake. And so not making everyone yeah, you, come you, to City Hall. When your daughter comes to visit you, you could take a little walk around the lake. Yeah. It's a nice thing. And so we created that. The, we were not going to make everybody come to the municipal complex, but we were going to go and we were going to have those conversations over coffee. So your point is it's not just the conversation. It's where you had the conversation. Oh, yeah. And that made a difference. Why do you think that made a difference? Um, because some people are afraid of um, elected officials, um, of, of what they consider bureaucrats. They don't realize that we are your neighbor. Um, we are the person that's going to walk in the cul-de-sac. We're going to be the person that walks to the dog park down the street from you. So not only did the people that are at the high level of the organization participate, we made sure that if a person lived in what I call the Florence Villa community of Winter Haven or around the lake or the uh, 
or the Pewsville area. Uh, people that work for the organization are business leaders that live in those communities. You would host the meetings because people um, respected the people that they live by. Well, the interesting part about that, too, is if we're developing this area over here, and then you go visit with them in that area over there. It's not as much of a threat as them say, come down to this area or come, you come to us. We're coming to you, which, which speaks to a servant's heart, right? Yeah. That's, that's, that, 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 that's a good takeaway. I, li- I like that, just going to where they are, meeting them where they are, yeah. both physically and obviously emotionally and, and, and uh, culturally, right, to, yeah. to come to where they are. So, so it was a universal support, or did you have the, the naysayers? Oh, we, we had some. And so what did you do with them? Um, when, you, when your vision is clear, your destiny can be seen through a mountain. Oh, hold on a second. We got we to repeat that. What? Um, I often when say destiny when is- your vision is clear, your destiny can be seen through a mountain. So the vision is clear. Everybody wants to have great um, um, restaurants, great streets, great parks. They want a great quality of life. Sometimes the mountain stops them from seeing that. But a true visionary, a true leader, will deal with the detours of life, will deal with the speed bumps, will deal with the stop signs, knowing that their ultimate goal, I know my ultimate goal is to get to Tallahassee to have coffee with you one month. There's going to be a detour. FDOT is always working on the road. But I do know my destination is to have that cup of coffee with you. So out of all of the detours, when your vision is clear, you have to keep going until you get to where you're going. And most of the people will eventually realize that it's not as bad. You know, it's true because when you when you have that perspective, you, you don't see the detour or the speed bump. Yeah. As an annoyance, you see it as part of the journey. You say, listen, I knew there was going to be speed bumps. I knew there was going to be impediments, uh, but I enjoy the journey. I know what my outcome, my strategic vision is, and so I get there. So I like that, that you just walk past. I mean, you acknowledge, you yeah. listen to the naysayers, but you have a clear vision and a clear goal. And it, and it is a funny thing. You know, when you open up that big park with the amphitheater, with oh, the yeah. amenities, whatever, uh, I remember working with the, with the mayor of West Palm. It was Lois Frankel at the time. And there was a old beat-up library at the end of Clematis Street that you had to park blocks away to get to. And the idea was to move the library in, modernize it, upgrade it, make it more of a library community center, and have on-site parking. And she said something to me that was really relevatory. She said, you know, Steve... If I, if that library didn't exist and it was just an open park on the water there, letting the air flow through up Clematis Street, which made a really big difference because it's on the waterway, right? It's on the intercoastal. She said, if I was to build, say, suggest I wanted to build that library, they would, they would run me out of town. <laughs> but the fact that I want to tear down a two-story building that blocks the wind, blocks the view, blocks the water, is largely inaccessible. It's old, outdated, smells like mold. I mean, there was protests in the street. Don't take away a library. We're moving your library. So visioning matters, right? And uh, one of my pieces of advice to her, by the way, was let's draw it up. Let's create a picture of what the area will look like, both the, the Clamata Street area and now the, 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 the new city center. By the way, today, try putting one brick on that, that other than like a statue or something pretty, they would have your head, right? <laughs> yeah. They now love it. So yeah, that's right. You got to get, get into where you think they're going to want to go and have a, have a beautiful vision and, and bring in community support. 
So before we started talking, um, I asked you about some of your passions, and I, you brought up something that I really liked as a servant's heart. It's one thing to be a city manager to help the community, which mm-hmm. you, which what you did in Winter Haven, right? You've now transformed it. I'm sure if you go on your makeup weekend, you drive into Winter Haven to your wife for a nice dinner, uh, you, you see, wow, I, I impacted that, right? But you said something else about impacting the people that work for the city. Tell me a little bit about that, that vision and that dream. Yeah, I, I have always believed um, since 2001 uh, in not only transforming um, the communities in which I serve, but the lives of the people that work for the community and the lives of the people in the community. And how do you do that? Uh, you let them know you're their neighbor. Um, encouraging them, especially staff members, um, getting beyond the box of what you do. If, if, a, if an employee says they have an interest in some other area, I'm willing to send that employee over to that area for a couple of days to work out of their current area. So if area. I'm in utilities and I say, you know, I really like parks. I'm sending you over there. I'm going to... And then they're back in utilities because nobody really likes working in parks. <laughs> You're right. They, they realize it's the front the porch. Angry like, Pam, the like, angry wait a minute. Is this, is this really what I want? Your terrible. No. Uh, <laughs> most people will find themselves probably wanting to work in a back room, you know, <laughs> that they don't have to deal with anybody. But helping individuals to be better. If they don't, don't want to go to college but want to get a certification, a credential, I'm willing to, to pay the money, put in the budget to help them do that. Because everybody can't be a college graduate, but someone can get a certification or a training. But not only that, making sure that the community knows that the staff members that work for the city are their neighbors, are on their block. And so if you can can show them that we're real people as well, um, mandating, this is not options. I want department directors. I want um, deputy department directors. I want managers. I want you going to the basketball games. I want you going to the Little League football games um, to, to let them see you as a real person. So silly little question. Do you ask them to wear the, you're wearing right now a City yeah. of Daytona Beach shirt. Do you ask them to wear the shirt? Yeah, I want you to sure wear the shirt. Wear, wear the basketball, uh, baseball cap. Let them know that you work for the city. Because um, if we get to the point where um, you don't want to wear this anymore because you're afraid of the negativity that's coming, that me- means that we haven't done our job enough to let the oh, people know. Oh, interesting. That's kind of like your little barometer, sending the little canaries out of the coal mine there. Let us know. If, if everyone's mad at us, um, we are not doing our jobs. But if we can go out there and someone can say, hey, you work for the city. Hey, I appreciate the, the, the repaving of our streets. Um, I appreciate the, the, the new park. Um, but if all you get when you got there is negativity. We need to know that. We need to change how we're so doing. You, you use the, so one is um, personal development. You allow everybody to rise up to be their best selves, whether that's an advanced college degree or some type of certification or moving from department yeah. to department to try different aspects. Because, by the way, what makes a really good city manager other than a humble servant's heart, other than willingness to get great things done but give somebody else the credit, yeah. is experiences in different areas so that you, when you move from utilities to parks uh, or another department or law enforcement, you have a perspective of the other departments. And that's, that's, I'm learning more and more, you know, this is our 65th episode, uh, more and more about what makes a good city tick. And what you're saying is upward mobility and transferability across departments. Across departments. And then sending people out into the wild. Yeah. Letting them see, I I mean, if, if, if they hate your department, um, there's a problem. What are you doing um, to make people want to uh, be a part of you, be, be a part of, of the organization? And I say that um, I did this with code enforcement. I was over code enforcement. 
and code was under the police department. And, you know, changing the word code compliance is great, which, which I think we should do. But are we really about the stats or are we about compliance? Yeah, you just want the clean. You don't want the trash out there. You just want it. You want it to be clean, yeah. but you don't want to have. I have thirty-seven. Yeah, think about this. If a, a senior, she's seventy years old, she keeps getting excited. Well, hold on a second. Can we go a little older? I'm sixty-one. Seventy sounds pretty young to me. So go. Let's go to eighty. Come on. Uh, my mom is seventy-four. <laughs> mom, don't listen to this podcast. So seventy-five. I'll give her okay, one more okay, year of youth. Compromise. But she gets a, keeps getting a code violation because the um, she the 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 paint on her house is coming off and she um this, uh, her grass is up. And we continue. We know every month because she's on a fixed income that she can't get someone to cut her grass. It's too much for her. But we continue to cite her instead of saying, you know what. I guarantee that there is someone from either the college, there's a fraternity or sorority that's probably willing to come help this person out. Instead of us just going through the process of the enforcement, have we looked at the compliance components of, can we get someone to come and volunteer and help help her once a month to cut her yard? That goes- By the way, that is so going above and beyond what the city, there's nothing in the city charter that tells you to do that. But that's what we should be doing. Because we want compliance and we just don't want stats. You know, we worked on a project, um, a dangerous project, to change trash service from backyard service to you have to bring out your own can. And expecting, you know, rioting in the streets, because I can't think of anything more. Per- but one of the things they put in place, and it was, was Anita Favors Thompson, great city manager, uh, one of my favorites. Um, she, um, she said, well, listen, for those who can't comply we're going to have a special program. All they got to do is sign up and we will bring their trash can out. And what was hilarious about it to me was how few people actually signed up to do that, but they loved the fact that it was offered in case they couldn't. Yeah. And I don't even think that program exists anymore and everybody's doing it. But you're right. The issue is how do we how do we assure compliance, not how do we check the chalkboard if I had 32 yeah. code enforcement? She'll system. never be able to get it done. I really, she'll and finding her doesn't really help the situation. Now, it was, her situation was monetary. Now you made it worse. And here's the thing. We're going to put a lien on her property, but she's 80. She's going to die there. She's not going to go into your nursing home with a nice walking yeah, path. But she, she's not going to leave her property. She's not. So we're not going to be able to remove her from her home. And every month we're putting a stat on a person who can't do what we want them to do. So where does that leadership role come? It may not be for the code officer because they have so many other cases. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But where does it come where you get to the supervisor and the leader that says— So did you put in place a process that says, okay, where are the repeat cases and let's evaluate the repeat cases. Let's see if we can't knock—somebody's job is to community outreach to knock those repeat cases off. That's what we're going to be doing in in Daytona Beach. I'm speaking at the FACE conference next week, the Code Enforcement Conference, because of Steve Shifley— who was the supervisor in the previous city I came from that changed from code enforcement to code compliance, that he realized, he, he's the incoming president in charge of that conference, that it made a difference in how people approach code enforcement officers in the field because they knew that they were not only coming now to cite them, but they were going to offer up an opportunity to figure out how can we work together to improve your situation. I like that idea because at the end of the day, it's probably not that many people that are your repeat offenders, yeah. right? And if, and, if, and if in a city as large as Daytona Beach is, and it's a large city, Very. you end up with 20 
people who are repeat violators. You can fix the 20. Yeah. I mean, you can help. Now, there's you can someone's do it purposely them. being a jerk and they're purposely. You'd be a jerk back probably. You know, you have to be a jerk back. Yeah. <laughs> but the little old lady, the, the person in a wheelchair, the person who may have mental health issues or other disabilities, and you say, okay, let's help this person. And, then, and by the way, you do several things at once. You improve the image of the city. You're actually serving people. You reduce the code enforcement problem. Uh, and you beautify. Yeah. You beautify your community by getting rid of that 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 one that one bad one or two bad properties. I am going to I I'm I'm talking with our elected officials about the importance of code enforcement being an economic engine for your city. Well, it, you know, uh, sorry, I know he's got a whole different aura, but Rudy Giuliani did that in New York City, which was if we want to stop crime, and and it wasn't his idea, but he helped implement it in New York was. Let's get rid of the people who are coming up with a dirty rag washing your windshield. Let's get rid of the graffiti. And you're like, well, what does that have to do with crime? Get rid of the broken windows. Because if a place looks crappy, people are going to act crappy. And if a place looks nice, what a great economic development tool. We just talked with the um, city manager of Tamarack, and she said their economic development is like the, you know, where you are was not about luring in the next big tech company. It wasn't about bringing a downtown campus of a university. It was about training the personnel, the people who live there, helping them get a better education. So partnering with Broward College to offer free tuition to low-income families in the area so they can get their kids at least some level of education. That was their economic development plan, which was an inversion for me. I'd never yeah. seen that before, other than we're bringing in this new radiology company, and so we work with the community college to offer more class classes in radiology, right? It was a different approach. I like, I like your approach to that for economic development. If you'd beautify a little community, uh, yeah, I'm also intrigued by the Winter Haven story because once you got that ball rolling, it was probably a matter of <laughs> let's slow this down now because so many people wanting to move there. But I think about it, it was it really wasn't just me starting anything. It goes back to 95 when the Chamber of Commerce, the community college, the government got together and created Our Future by Design. And the groups and the teams of, of leaders, elected officials, administrators, and staff members and community members, each, you know, three to five years, they're updating and refreshing that. And all of the moving parts came together um, from the David Green, from the Dale Smith, from the Derek Fiatcher, from the T. Michael Sowers, from the uh, Mike Herr, from the Nathaniel Birdsong, all of these people, the Bob Gurners, the Katie um, Worthington Deckers, these are the people in the community, the faces that you see out that are known or unknown, that took part in these visioning sessions. And once the, the city um, elected officials made a, a, a concerted effort to invest in infrastructure improvement and strategic acquisitions of properties. And with a partner. With a, a partner, legitimate partner. A le legitimate partner. Um, it actually changed. You know, what's interesting to me is, you know, we have this managers in transition because we know the nature of the beast across the world is it, it's, it's a temporary job, right? Because there's very few Nick Mimses out there. And if you know Nick, Fort Pierce, you know, he's been there, you know, uh, for his whole life, right? Uh, I think he's been city manager now 20 years. And w what I hate about Nick is he doesn't look a day over 35. Problematic. So that's a problem <laughs> for me. Um, but the idea that, you came in and took the baton from somebody else. Now, how, when you did that, did you just enthusiastically take that baton and you say, you know what, Derek Fiatcher wants to put a little bit of his own stamp on this and change this or that. How did you, how did you adjust to that? Uh, I took the baton uh, and we all run differently, uh, but I want to run a little faster. 
Um, and not only, like I say, transform the You're community. You're hitting that mountain with enthusiasm. Oh, my. Oh, yeah. I, I knew I wanted to be city manager. I had two two hopes um, graduating from college. Remember, I, one was I wanted to go home, and I was like, I want to be the mayor of my hometown. And then I realized that. And that was Winter Haven. Winter Haven. I was like, oh, no, but the real power as far as controlling how things work was in the city manager's hands. And so I want to become city manager. So they knew that. I told my boss that um, I want your job. Uh, and he brought me to City Hall as his assistant to the city manager to train me and put me on a one-year internship program. We had 12 departments. I did every single job in the city of Winter Haven, every single one, going down in a lift station, uh, cleaning as part out. Of your, as part of your orientation? No. this was half, I was doing just, another job. You he, were just that guy. I thought that he wanted me to do a report. I love that. So you yeah. did that. You worked in department, 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 and you're, you're encouraging that as a city manager oh, yeah. today yeah. for your employees. Yeah, people that want to move up, um, yeah, encouraging that. But I didn't, he did not think I was going to do every job. So I got on shift. I got on shift at the fire department, got on shift at the police department, got on shift at utilities. So if I had to get up at, um, you know, at night and go in on a shift, I went that shift, but still had to do my regular job in charge of communications. Oh, so you did this as part of your learning learning experience. Really cool. He thought it was going to be an eight to five, but I knew that I had to do that. And it helped me in the long run when I came to union negotiations as a city manager. And I was dealing with the um, shop stewards and the public works department and dealing with code enforcement and utility workers. And So one, you, you became the guy, don't tell me because I've done that. And that's what <laughs> they told their shop stewards, that, oh, no, he knows our job very well. So that has helped me to be a more effective leader, even when we disagree. It's because I do understand um, what takes place. I understand um, the janitor that comes in at 3 a.m. in the morning to prepare City Hall for us to do, do good work because I've met that janitor because I went in because I wanted to know who makes sure that my office smells good, that it looks good when I've got million-dollar corporations coming in trying to do business and tell them thank you. That's, that's awesome. You know, Daytona Beach has some interesting challenges. You have, you know, uh, we went through a period of time where everybody wanted all the spring breakers, and now the spring breakers are clearly problematic. Kids falling out of hotels, blah, blah, blah. People, you know, dead on the beach or, you know, sleeping overnight on the beach. Are, are you guys having to deal? Have, have you? Because I know Fort Lauderdale is no longer seen as the, you know, but then they moved from Panama City. Uh, Daytona Beach is still a little bit of the first. Are you having to deal with some of those issues? Yeah. Well, my first week on the job last year was um, was um, the Bike Invade week, Orlando right? and the truck meet where truckers came from everywhere um, on their big trucks riding on the beach because you can ride on the beach. We still have the the population of individuals that want to just um, invade our communities and for cars or sprain breakers um, that are not wanting to just enjoy the sun and, and, and the beach. But we're trying. We're changing that. We've had over nine million visitors come to our community. Now we've we've got spring breakers. I'd say they're year round because we have six colleges and universities that people don't even know is in Daytona. Forty four thousand students. I'm over seventy three thousand residents. I'm home to to NASCAR. Um, and so we we've got this going on. So we're trying to create that. Um, you can go from what I call a pre K to a PhD or an MD yeah, in Daytona Beach, right on International Speedway, connecting you from A1A to I-4 and 95. Um, so we have that, but we want to be a destination for families. Um, but we also want to be a destination for you to come and get a quality education. You name what city in the state of Florida or even in the country 
that can say they have six colleges and universities in their city on one major um, thoroughfare. It's pretty impressive. It really um, is. And, and it's interesting because the branding of Daytona Beach is either spring break yeah. or NASCAR. Um, and, and yet we're changing that. It's I, really, yeah, that's a, that's a tough yeah, one. I, I am. I, the first thing I came in, that's one of the things the mayor said to me, I said, how can you be in a community where you can be a toddler, get a quality education at a private or, um, uh, daycare pre-K and go all the way up into a residency program, um, for a medical school for Florida State University's medical school, the number one aeronautical university in the rural is there. Um, a great um, historically black college and university of Bethune Cookman and Dr. Mary McLeod Bethune, who's mm -hmm. going to be in statutory hall. I know, a isn't great that fantastic? Career University and Kaiser University, one of the leading state universities, um, Daytona State um, College, in in your area. How do you do? And then right up the road, you got Stetson, and then Palmer Chiropractic School. So all of these things are right in the area, and then you've got the Super Bowl of NASCAR. Um, the Speedway, and then you got really the world's most famous beach. Uh, you, you don't find how that. do you? Yeah, because that's an interesting thing. Because you've got those three elements, you got to combine them into one great message, uh, or not. Because if things are growing, things are going in the right direction. That's okay. Although messaging will help divert the negative spring breakers, right? And you know, that's you got what we're Bike doing. Week, which is fun and cool. Uh, the, funny, the funny thing I love about Bike Week. Uh, I remember hanging out with these lawyers and I came to their office and they were all growing beards. Uh, and I didn't, you know, I was now completely you know agnostic to uh, <laughs> what was going on. Uh, I didn't know anything. I'm like, what, what, what's with everybody's got beards? Oh, bike weeks in three weeks. We're growing our beards. Yeah. What are you talking about? We all drive Harleys. I mean, so the thugs, the, you know, the, 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 the guys in the black jacket. Oh, yeah. You go, no, we're with a religious group. You know, it's like, you know, bikers for Jesus. It was fantastic. I was like, and this it's is there. Cool. Not only I just went. And they just to, drove up and down. Yeah, they didn't really get. But the, we had um, Welcome to Rockville, uh, and I just remember Kiss as a little um, young watching the cartoon Kiss uh, with Gene um, Simmons. Uh, Simmons and, and the group. So I went out to Rockville um, at the the Speedway. They're into concerts now, and I saw members of the Chamber of Commerce. Yeah, I saw members of law firms, and they're looking at me because I normally wear a bow tie every day, and I got on shorts, a Kiss T-shirt, and my baseball cap backwards and they're trying to figure out why are you here and I'm trying to figure out no why are you all here <laughs> <laughs> for for this but all of that is in Daytona Beach and I encourage anyone who want to be in a community that can offer you um, everything you need um, from a quality education walks on the beach uh, uh, visits to great outlets restaurants stores being in a kayak riding a Harley um, participating in Jeep Beach, going to a NASCAR race. And by the way, pause. NASCAR, you know, I, I have people have a lot of impressions of it. It's the coolest oh. thing ever. Believe uh, me, my you, wife when, when watches the, NASCAR and goes to the match, the races because when you sit Daytona. there, especially that first lap, they're all packed. They're coming around that thing at 180 miles an hour, and it's like jet engines come screaming by yeah. you. It is. And people, my friends laugh at me all the time. What are you doing? It's the coolest thing. Now, I don't think I can handle 100 degrees for four hours on July 4th, but, but some of the early season, late season races are really cool. I invite everyone to come 
and participate in one of our great events in Daytona Beach. Well, you heard it there. So when you call his assistant, Bobby Yarbrough, Joe Yarbrough's <laughs> spouse, uh, and Joe's back at work apparently. Yes. Uh, when you call in and you ask for Der- your good friend, because you need NASCAR tickets, and he'll give you all the tickets you want for free. <laughs> you ask for Derek Feature, she's going to know you don't know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> Correct. So if you say, so here's the, here's, the, here's the little coupon code on the back of this ticket here. Ask for Derek Feature, and he's promised you free tickets. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can watch from the, uh, the movie theater across the street. There you go. There you go. We don't want you to lose your job because of yeah. a podcast. Derek, thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate it. Folks, this is Steve Van Core, and this is the FCCMA Podcast, a service produced by and for the Florida City, County, City and County Management Association and its membership. Thank you for being with us.